this gospel is powerful. And so I went to the person that led me to the Lord. I said, is it possible to stop sinning? How would you have answered me? Yes. Most of you are thinking no. But you didn't dare to say it. Most of us think no. But if you think no, you'll be miserable. And you will sin. If you think it's possible to stop sinning, to be perfect in that moral sense, you will start having victory over your sins. And if you aim at what God wants you to aim at, you're going to start hitting the mark. And you're going to see that target over there, and you're going to, wow, that's the bull. Wow, man, I'm getting close. And you're going to get encouraged because you're going to feel that perfection coming in you, not in a self-righteous way, but in a clean, victorious way. I believe that we can be perfect. I do not know anyone that is. So that's why we say it's impossible. I don't know anybody. I know some people that think they are, but they're very difficult to be around. But the possibility that Jesus Christ work on the cross is totally sufficient against the power of sin. The penalty of sin. Most people believe that. Well, we say we believe it. We don't but against the power of sin and the penalty of sin and ultimately the presence of sin. It's total victory on the cross. I one time, Paul and I, I think Paul was there, this guy, and, and this story comes to my mind often, said um, he spoke to Dallas Theological Seminary and there was 500 of us there, all theologians listening carefully. And he said he goes into many fundamental churches and Deacons' wives and elders will stand up in the middle of his preaching, in the middle of his preaching, and say, that's a lie. Yeah, I'd never heard of that happening. I mean, the fundamental Bible-believing churches that I went to, everybody was extremely respectful when anybody spoke. But when this guy came in, people would stand up and call him a liar, leaders, publicly. Isn't that something? So I kind of like people like that. So I sat next to him at lunch, and I said, Hey, what do you do that makes these demons, because that's what they were, religious spirits, I said, what do you do that makes these demons manifest? You know what he said to me? Never forget it. He said, I preach the cross. Whew, that gives me goosebumps. I preach the cross, the total work of Jesus Christ, to eliminate sin, sorrow, sickness. To destroy the works of the devil. And once the devil thinks you're destroying his works, believe me, if you just, you know, you'll get better as a Christian. You'll feel a lot better. God will forgive your sins. It's all true, but it's said with such a lack of depth of understanding what that means. That when somebody comes and preaches it, to the fullness, this man had a certain kind of anointing that I don't have, although one time I did. I was just out of seminary. God had shown me, God had shown me the power of baptism. The power of baptism is you're dead. Well, how many things can you make a dead man do? You tell me, not a lot. 
No. No. He can't make me sin anymore. It's dead. And you're raised to newness of life. That's what baptism is. So I, I had, like, you know, we know some things, and sometimes we really know them. And I was, I just, one day at seminar, I, I just really knew this, and partly because of this man, I'm sure. But I really knew what baptism is. Oh, my goodness. It means power over sin. Promise of eternal life. A marriage feast with Jesus. So Paul and I did a, a baptism together once, and, and the Lord gave me a message. <laughs> Can I avoid telling the story? <laughs> Can I tell it? Oh, that's good. It was a little bit offensive. It was a little bit offensive. Well, okay, I'll tell. All right. So Paul and I are going to do a baptism together, and he was going to do the baptism. I was going to do the preaching, I think. And but I thought baptism. It's a, it's a birthday. It's a funeral. It's a birthday. It's a marriage. All those things are happening. I said, wow. I mean, everything that we do as humans that's really monumental is wrapped up in baptism. Birthday, funeral, wedding feast. This is great. So what would you do? You'd dress up. And most of those occasions, you could dress in black. Now, I own a limousine. Somebody gave me a limousine. It was actually a pallbearer's car. So I thought, I'll drive my funeral car, and I'll dress in all in black. Now you remember, Karen? <laughs> so, so this is how I know I'm supposed to be working with Paul, too. So I came, uh, So I dressed. I had a black uh, mock turtleneck. I still remember what I was wearing. I had black pants, which I almost never, never, never wear. Black belt, black shoes, perfectly black. And I went there, and Paul was dressed in a black turtleneck, black belt, I mean, the same kind of turtleneck, everything, black shoes, black socks. And I said, Paul, I even have black underwear. He said, and he said, so do I. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad you're taping this. This is so important. (laughs) Anyway. At, at baptisms, I realized the, the, the power of the cross. At least I realized it mentally so it could gradually sink into my heart. And uh, so I was speaking shortly after um, graduation from seminary. And I had gone, uh, and it was in Dallas, and I was at the home of a person who really respected Dallas Theological Seminary. You know, wow, the, the theologians of the world are trained there, you know, the presidents of Moody and Wheaton and many, many seminaries, uh, Colorado, Denver, uh, our graduates, uh, Swindoll, you know. So got a great deal of respect for Dallas Seminary. So this woman had been teaching for years a fundamentalist Bible study. And she had about ten women. They had nice tea. They looked like they were wealthy and they were a little bit older. And she'd been teaching that Bible study for like 20 years or something. And when I went to it, I got an invitation to come to it. She said, oh, well, you just graduated from Dallas Seminary. Why don't you teach today? I said, well, all right, I'll, I'll teach the Bible study. So they were all <laughs> sipping tea. And, and uh, so I thought, well, I'll just teach about baptism and the power of the cross. 
So I said something like, um, you don't have to ever sin. And she spoke out, that's not true, out loud like that. Like, I said, whoa, I got one. <laughs> she said, out loud, that's not true. And now she's been teaching this Bible study 20 years. And I said, well, well I was a little, you know, I was just green behind it. I didn't know how to handle this. And I said, I wasn't going to try to cast the demon out. I just didn't, you know, ladies there or anything. And I said, well, well, the Bible says right here. And she said out loud, I don't care what the Bible says. <laughs> yeah, that's what I did too. Oh, wow, wow. <laughs> I wanted it. Anyway, the devil does not want you to know that you don't have to sin. He does not want you to know that. He wants you to be a perfectionist and live in gross private sin, gross judgmentalism, gross criticalness and self-deprecation. That's how he wants you. And be a perfectionist. That's what he wants for you. But to be perfect, that scares the bejeebies out of him. And demons will start cropping up all over. You know, what is 1 John 4, 1? The sign of a false prophet. The sign of a false prophet is what? Will not admit that Jesus came in the flesh. Well, I've had a deliverance ministry in the past, casting demons out, especially around my seminary days, a lot of it. And, and some demons would say, they, they go, oh, Jesus, yeah, Jesus, Lord, uh, yeah, he came in. It was really, really hard to, but I didn't understand what it meant. Why was it so bad for demons to say, that Jesus came in the flesh. I'll tell you why they don't want to say it and why uh, false prophets will say it. Because Jesus was a man and he was the perfect image of God in righteousness. And to admit that a flesh and blood creation of God that he sent to overtake the works of the devil. He sent Adam for that. He said, keep the garden, which means protect, not just garden. Protect it, because there was evil in the world already. Guard it. He didn't do it. Jesus came and overcame that destructive force that was released from heaven. And the devil, for the devil to admit that flesh and blood was beating him is totally intolerable because it announces his judgment. So for you to confess that you don't have to sin is a great victory. That's what you should do at baptism. I don't have to sin anymore. There's no longer excuse for sin in my life. I'm going on to perfection. Now, I, I gave you different verses. Um, so I would like you, as you feel led, just to stand up and read one of your verses. Everybody here has got a verse. You should have one. And if you've got one, I want to uh, just kind of go through what the Bible says about perfect and start examining what this perfection of God, besides not sinning anymore, how do we get there? What is the path if it's not following standards, if it's not setting up something, goals of looking right, doing everything right? If that's not quite it, what is the way? What is the path? There are two words for perfection and being perfect, uh, different forms of it. In the Old Testament and the New, they're both about the same. Very few times 
is the word used in the sense of flawless. Very few times. We almost always use the word perfection in the way of flawless. But that's not how the word is used in the New Testament. It's mature. What's a perfect tree? Uh, which one out there is perfect? When living things don't conform to perfection like dead things. Living things do not conform to perfection in the same way that dead things do. If we have a perfect desk or a perfect that, it's like no flaws, just shiny, there's nothing wrong with it. You know, I am... Um, I purposely wore these pants today. They are were some of my favorite pants. And I was washing the bathroom floor with some solvent to really do a good job, and it had some bleach in it. I didn't think about that, but I was kneeling on the floor, and I got up, and my very favorite pair of brown, perfectly in style jeans. They, and they fit nice. See, look at the, the nice, perfect, perfect fit. It's just so comfortable. And now, look what they've got here. You maybe didn't notice it, but I noticed it. I tried to restain it and everything. It's got a white spot there, and it's not. Well, it's not perfect. And I felt the Lord say something like this to me. That's it. We'll, we'll go on from this statement, but it was like the Lord said, nothing is. Nothing is. No thing is. You're not going to have a perfect marriage. You're not going to have a perfect family. You're not going to have so many things that we have an ideal for, and then you start living life, and it's not there. It's not perfect. So what do we do? We get a new partner. We crawl up in a shell. We uh, divorce ourselves emotionally, from those we live with. We, we do all kinds of things because it's not perfect. It's not the ideal I was looking for. If you know this, I, I had the privilege of speaking at my son's uh, graduation years ago. And I, I really spent a lot of time. I thought, what should I say to these students? The world is yours. You can accomplish anything you want. Go get them. I thought, that's a bunch of malarkey. Everybody says that. The only thing I can guarantee them is what I said. I said, I promise you one thing as you graduate. Pain and disappointment. That's one thing I know all of you will experience. Success, maybe not. Achievements, some. But I can promise all of you one thing. Pain and disappointment. Because this world is not perfect. And you need certain equipment to go out there into a world that's going to wound you, into a marriage partner that's not going to be totally faithful or fulfill every sexual and social and status thing that you want from them. Companionship. It's not going to be perfect. So deal with it. And God is the only one that can really deal with the imperfections of life in a way that is perfect. 
that you can say, this is perfect. I said to my wife, we are so different. We've been playing with the temperature in our house. I put on three layers of clothing, and she's sweating. Yeah, same thing. Yeah. I said, Stella, we are so different. We are perfect for each other. Perfect if we want to be perfect. We are perfect. Now, don't, don't go looking for somebody you can't stand so your soul will be... Uh, that's, not, that's not the idea here, you know. There's joy there. There's, I love my wife, and we have a lot of fun together. But we are perfectly designed to point out and contrast the sins in the other person. Perfectly designed. Some people get along just great and never... Ha- well, I, I don't really don't think it's going to be like that. I used to. But they get along with greater ease than my wife or I. But a lot of times there are things don't get bubbled up to the surface to stand them in the face and say, okay, what are you like here? Where's your life? Where's your perfection of the character of God? Where's your selflessness? Okay. Let me hear some ways that God talks about perfect. Remember, in both the Old and New Testament, it's usually meaning complete, mature, finished rather than flawless, which is what most of us go for. Most of us go for flawlessness. And that therein lies a huge part of the problem. We don't see God's goal. So go ahead and read a scripture if you like the one you got. Anybody? Okay, what do you got? Okay, and the blameless there, the word for blameless is the Hebrew for perfect. Mark the blame. Can you do it again real loud? Psalm 37. Psalm 37, 37. Mark the blameless and behold the upright. There is a future for the man of future. Wow. There is a future. I want a future. Yes. What do I need to do? Be blameless. Oh, gee. Well, I'll set up some standards here and do my best. There's a way to be blameless before the Lord and a promise. A great blessing. We want to be perfect. God, bring us to that completion. Bring us on that journey that we can experience more and more of your blessings. By the way, I do everything for a reward. One Christian lie is, I just do this because I love God. Or it would be more like this, I just do this because I love God. That sounds good. So nobody says anything when you say something like that. But I do it from a reward from a God who loves me. He loved me first. And I expect a reward from him because he always rewards everything. Glass of water to a prophet. Rewards are all over the scripture. You should expect something good from obedience. God will reward the blameless. Okay, how do I get to be blameless? Come on. All right. Some more scriptures. For the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. Because it's outward. Where is it? Hebrews 7, 19. The law couldn't make anything perfect, complete, mature. It simply said, this is your 
imperfections. No, no, I'm going to follow these things. I'm going to do my best. Here's a guy who came. Who's got the one of the rich young ruler in Matthew? Okay, read it out loud. Wait a minute now. So we all have to sell our houses and go to the mission field? No. Jesus was getting at his imperfection. He loved money. He was per he said, I've followed the law, I've done all the right things, but his heart had not been perfected. He was doing exterior things, and Jesus went, Zing! You love money. He doesn't do that to everybody. He breaks the power of materialism in all of us, especially Americans. But he doesn't do that exact thing to everybody, but he does go for the heart, the heart issue for all of us. Who's got another one? Oh, he makes my, he is a perfect God. Read it again, please. He makes, by the way, if you don't believe in the flawlessness of the word of God, there are going to be flaws in you that don't need to be there. If you don't believe in the flawlessness of the original writing of the scriptures, not what was passed down, but the original writings, if you don't believe in the flawlessness of the written word of God, there will be flaws in your life that are needless. And his way is perfect. His word is perfect. And he brings us to a perfection through his word and through his presence that he wants for us. By the way, if you have comments to make on any scriptures, we're just going to go through these scriptures. And, and, then we're going to, and then we're going to have a little study at the end on the core of it all. Okay, yes? Okay, real loud. He made my way blameless. One of the most important things to put in your theology, if it's not there, is the absolute sovereignty of God, as well as the absolute free will of man. Put them both in tension and live there, and you'll be happy. When you realize the absolute sovereignty of God, your mistakes start taking on a new meaning. God knew I was going to do that. Why didn't he stop me? Because you got free will. What now? His way is perfect. Well, what are you going to do with this mess? I'm going to make compost out of it. Why? I'm going to put it on your garden. And if you will let me make compost out of your mistakes, you'll have the most beautiful garden on the block. If you hide it and put it in your refrigerator, though it be rotten, and try to serve it to people like most perfectionists do, they will all get sick. 
instead of eating fresh fruit from your garden that was fertilized by the mistakes of your life, confessed before me and acknowledged. Out of Zion, perfection of beauty. Ugh. Out of the core of God's government comes beauty. He himself being the source of beauty. Oh, girls, what do women struggle with? It is not a secret. Every one of you is insecure about your looks. This is not a secret for any husband. And you need constant reassurance that you're beautiful. And that's appropriate and good. But the beauty that the devil tries us to focus on, and I don't mean don't take care of that and do what God is, make yourself as physically beautiful as possible, but that's not the goal of perfection. It comes out of Zion. It's a transformation of the government of God bringing into your soul that brings the beauty of God in your life. I've seen so many young women transformed by giving their life to God. And their face takes on another look. One of my most stories that I love to tell is, is working in the inner city with a bunch of uh, Afro-American young men who are very frank in their assessment of women's figures and appearances as I was discipling them from the streets. One woman was, that worked on, my staff, on a small staff, we had three or four in a cobbled-together ministry in the inner city. She was decidedly plain and unattractive. And she came in because she wanted more out of life. And as she started fellowshipping around the Word, around some other people that were with me, she started taking in Jesus in a way she'd never taken in her whole Christian life, but submitting to him in her heart. And one of the young men came to me and said, Gary, what has happened to Janie? She's beautiful. It was noticeable to these guys that just look for beauty. If we could tell our daughters and somehow encourage them, that yes, you're beautiful, honey, but, but here, continue. This is a beauty that won't go away. This is an everlasting thing. You won't have to compare yourselves with others. God's got a destiny designed for your heart that is not the same for anybody else. And if you, if you do that, honey, you're going to shine. They're going to be looking at you, but that won't impress you because you're just so satisfied with who you are. Another one. Uh, 1 John 4, 17 and 18. Okay. Ah, you mean if we receive the love of God, fear will go out. I'm afraid of heights. I'm afraid of mice. I'm afraid of spiders. Ah, you're afraid of people. All the other things too. But fear is going to go. I'm afraid of dying. I'm afraid. Fear is going to leave you. Not the proper fear. You see a gun pointing at somebody. Yeah, you, fear is a natural response to real things. But we are afraid of unreal threats. And when you have unreal threats in your life, consider that you may be a perfectionist 
instead of being perfected by the love of God. Perfect love. Here, do this with me. Uh, watch me once. And then. Perfect love. Just watch me the first time, and then you'll do it. Okay. Perfect love. Shouts out fear. Okay, together, please. Perfect love. Cast out fear. I, I do a little puppet show. I've done children's ministry for a long time. And I've had kids years later say, I say that puppet show every night before I go to bed. <laughs> Another one. And that word again, mature, is, is the word that's translated in Old King James as perfect. But they changed it, and appropriate so, to mature. There's a maturity that we ought to aim at instead of perfectionism. Am I maturing? You know, I'm, I'm 69 years old, and one of the greatest pleasures of my life is seeing I'm changing. God, by his mercy, is making me more like him at my age. And I'm so glad that though the outward is starting to fail a little bit now and then, the inward is being renewed. And it's happening by the grace of God, not by the perfectionism or super efforts of Gary, but by, but by yielding to his transforming life. I'm changing inside. And we can do it our whole lives. And he was praying that they would be presented mature. I don't want to die yet because I'm not where I want to be when I die. Someone else. Wow. The word again is perfect. So he may be mature, complete. I was doing a puzzle at a camp the other day, and big, big on the floor one, and we got it all done. There was one missing piece in there, and oh, we just were all so disgusted that one missing piece, and we looked all over the cabin for it. God wants us complete. He wants your personality finished. He wants you to be free to be you without comparing yourself with anybody. I'm complete. I feel complete. This is me. This is who I am in Christ. This is the real me. Finished. Not some part that was afraid so it didn't come out, didn't exercise, lazy, whatever it is that perfectionism will cover up. Another one. Yes. What's that? Maybe we, can we close with it, I think? Would that be a word? Good. Oh, yeah, that one. Because the trials, and here, thank you, Karen. I, I almost missed this point. It's the sovereignty of God in your life again. Believing in the sovereignty of God. When something happens that stops you, when it just stops you in life, stops you on the road, you say, okay, God, you got control here. I maybe won't see the good right away. 
but I, I'm going to give you thanks in all things. Because you have control. And I'll tell you what, as I've done this in latter years especially, and just and it started when I was in college, Romans 8.28. If you haven't memorized it, memorize it. All things work together for good. To those who, here's the core again, love God. Not love your own righteous self, but love God. And called according to His purpose. Those are the two things. Loving God and submitting to His sovereign, understanding His sovereignty over all things. Called according to His purposes. Loving Him, understanding His sovereignty, and cooperating with His sovereignty in your life. Mistakes. Other people's mistakes. Misfortunes. Everything. And I'm not saying you're not going to hurt, not going to feel sorrow, not going to wish things otherwise. Those are normal emotions. If you don't have them, there's something wrong with you. Allow yourself to grieve, to all those things. But understand in the foundation of your soul and your spirit that there's a sovereign God that allowed, caused, whatever word you want to fill in, this to happen in your life. And He has control. He never scratches His head. Never. Yes. Perfect work. Yeah. Right. Right. And that's what the law has brought us to. The law is there to show us. When you first become a Christian, you try real hard. Then you see you can't do it. Or you become a hypocrite. One or the other. One or the other. And most of the churches are hypocrites. We're different at home than we are at church. We're different in the car going home than we were at church. That's a hypocrite. There is a safety where you can be more frank in safe places. That's okay. But when we start getting bitter, bickering, and all that kind of mess afterwards, that's called hypocrisy. And that's the fruit of perfectionism rather than becoming perfect. Read that scripture again, James uh, or do we read that one yet? Uh, yeah, yeah. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So you be perfect. God allows things to persevere through. If you get the divorce and God has not, and, and it's not for legitimate reasons, just kind of you're fed up with things or or whatever. You didn't let perseverance do its perfect work in you. Now, there are times when you need to separate. I'm I'm not saying there's never a time. But I'm saying 50% of Americans have not reached that place. 50% of Christians have not reached that place where perseverance got them to the place of completeness in their own character and perfection that they were expecting from their partner. They found it themselves if you persevere. You'll find it yourself if you persevere. And I tell you what, it's much more satisfying to be a perfect person than to live with one. It's much more satisfying to be a perfect person than to live with one. Because you have an inner peace. Satisfaction with who you are. And there's nothing better than that. And nothing externally can match it. I would rather be murdered than be a murderer any day. 
and I'd rather be perfected than live with a perfect person. I'd like both. <laughs> Another verse. All right. Anybody else? Who's got the mat? Yes. Or perfected in us. What is the core of perfection as we're listening to these different scriptures? What does it mean to be perfect? To love. Look at the scripture in Matthew. A lot of people says God never requires us to be perfect because we use the word perfect as flawless. But when you use it the way God uses it, we not only are perfectible, it is a demand from heaven that we become perfect. Look at Matthew 5. Who is Matthew 5? Matthew 5, 48. Read the context. The, the whole paragraph. A lot, four verses. Wow, there's the command. There's a clear command of Scripture to be perfect. But what makes God perfect? What is the perfection of God? What did he just say about God? Loving everyone, regardless of their behavior. We find all kinds of excuses for not loving someone. That doesn't mean that you don't identify evil, that you don't protect people from wicked people, but it's that there is a love that is unquenchable, that goes every place, all the time. And that is perfection. Yes, ma'am. Your name? Which one is it? Because I can't hear over here quite. Second Corinthians twelve. Absolutely, right. Very, very good. Very good. We're perfected when we realize how imperfect we are. 
we start becoming perfected when we come to that place, when we give up our pride. Humility, a low door, bowing over is the only entrance into the kingdom of God, which is hard for my wife's husband. Yes? I love them. These two things cannot work together. Which two? Yeah. They can't. Yeah. You can't. They're mutually exclusive. They are mutually exclusive. That's right. Yes. Right? Good question. We're not flawless. And I'm not sure I've got the perfect answer, but communion reminds us of the love of God and the daily confession of sins. If anybody says they don't have a sin, they're lying, it says. They're lying. How did he know that? Because nobody's perfect. Ah, but we're called to be perfect. So there must be a perfection that keeps that short thing of blamelessness before the Lord. Where as we're confessing, we're washed clean. So we live in a state of cleansing. We live in a state of cleansing. And we're, we're made perfect. We're blameless before him. Acknowledge it. Claim it. Don't live in shame. Does anybody have a napkin that they could tear up for me? Anybody have a little napkin? Oh, Kleenex, that's fine. Would you rip that up, a, a part of it, for as many sins as you have? Oh, oh my good. Oh, my, 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 my. Oh. And you're getting married? Oh, is he going to find out something? I want some of them. I can't take all of them all at once. She's perfect in your eyes. Let's see here. Well, let's say these are represent her sins. Now, what most of us do is, we say, okay, God, forgive my sins. And we put them in God's garbage can. We put them in his garbage can. And we say, God, please forgive my sins. And for a while, we feel forgiven. They're gone. They're gone like that. But you know what a lot of people do? They go digging in the garbage can. And they start finding those things again. Or maybe somebody else goes digging. Remember when you did this? You did that. By the way, women, there's sometimes your memory is not helpful. <laughs> Please keep this in mind if you get a husband. When you say you forgive, you won't forget. Just don't bring it up again. Because it's like digging in the garbage can. You just, okay, wait a minute. So you do this in your mind. You don't have to tell him I forgive you again. I mean, there was 20 years that I, I got talked to about a knife that I left that I used to scrape the battery cables and I forgot it. I mean, that knife came up for 20 years. It hasn't come up lately. We've been married 42 now. But so you just put it in there, you leave it there, and let other people stay there too. And you'll all be more happy. Okay. Thank you, thank you. That's all right. Okay, another scripture. Now, this is where it's flawless. And I just wanted to throw one of these in. It means flawless. They used to shave a little 
off their weights so that they could give less grain. So the weights weren't accurate. That was what they do. So there is a righteousness that is doing things really right. I've got a thing going on with China. I bought a bunch of darts for a blow dart game that I made. and I bought 300 and some dollars worth of, of Nerf darts. And he sent me the wrong things. So, so I am just trying to... And the, and the uh, credit card company said, yeah, he sent you the wrong things. We'll cover it. So they gave me my money back. And now this guy's got my money, and I've got the credit card's money, and he wants his darts back too. So I'm thinking, that's not his money anymore if he gets the darts. He needs to give me that money. I need to pay, you know, I need to do something different. But anyways, doing things right and righteously, it's very important. So not having a different measure for measuring things, is, is that's the that point. But the point is, do things righteously. If you say something, do it. If you sell something, do it at a fair price. It, you know, it, it, there is a, a flawlessness in our behavior that we need to aim at. We need to aim at that, doing it right. So that we don't disgrace the grace. Okay, someone else. Ah, perfect peace. It's called the rest. It's called the end goal of every believer to have a heart that is not disturbed with anxieties, fears, angers, upset emotions. It's that perfect peace whose mind is stayed on God, His sovereignty, His love. I can trust God. I'm, my heart is getting more peaceful from difficult situations as I'm learning the sovereignty of God and the goodness and love of God and focusing on that, there's just a greater and greater and greater peace. Less comparison with other people. Less jealousies. Less, just more at peace. And he'll keep us in perfect peace. Perfect peace. If our mind is stayed on him. If we are anxious, there is something that we are trying to do that we should stop trying and yield to God. And we'll have peace. Perfect. Anyone else? Another scripture. All right. The spirit. They're made perfect. Perfection is coming. <laughs> the Spirit's made perfect. There is a day of perfection that's coming. And, and it's a hopeful day. It's a day we're aiming at and we're going to hit it. But if you're not aiming at it now, I don't know what to fill in the blank. There's a process to bring us to perfection. And it's getting rid of perfectionism, the false goals of life that may f make us feel good like a drug for a short time, but they don't deal with the root problem of a transformed heart. Anyone else? A couple more, and we'll close up with one study together. Who's got Romans 12? 
No one has Romans 12? I'm going to have to do it. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. First Corinthians. Oh, yes. We'll come to that one, too. Go ahead. First Corinthians 13, 8. Yeah. Yeah. Do it. What is the perfect? When we see him. There's a day coming that is perfect. Everything in heaven is perfect. Be like him, because we will see him as he is. Becoming, beholding is becoming. The more we focus on God, who he is, see him, the more we become like him. Whatever you focus on, you focus on other people's sins, you're going to do them. You're going to do them. And you can see that happen with people. They get caught in the very thing that they hate, they're disgusted with, whatever. You see it happen publicly with figures. A judgmental attitude of perfectionism and then they do it but when we focus on him we become like him we become like him I want to read Romans 12 then 1 and 2 we're just about bringing things to a close and summarizing a lot of what you said oh but I want to read one other Philippians 3 Philippians 3 does anybody have that one Okay, why don't you read that one? The word mature there is the same word. Teleos. And in one place it's not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, and then the other place let those of us who are perfect think this way. In other words, there's a process as an end, and an end goal. There is an eternal perspective and a temporal experience. I'm not yet perfect, but I'm perfect. I'm mature. I've, I've gotten rid of the childishness and the immaturities, and I'm focused on Christ, and I evaluate things now because I'm mature. But I'm not complete. Yet I'm not perfect yet. I'm pressing on. So it's, it's seeing two things at once, and that, that sort of addresses a lot of the questions that you're asking. It's like it's holding this intention. I'm perfect, but I'm not perfect yet. I'm experiencing the perfection of God, the maturity of God, the completeness of God, but I know that there is yet a perfection to come that I have not yet experienced. What's that? Saint and sinner, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And we need to keep both in, in mind what we really are apart from the grace of God and what we've become by the grace of God. Anybody else have a comment you want to make or question? What about the scripture that says, so we go 
Amen. That's good. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, Romans 12, 1. I appeal, therefore, to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. A living sacrifice, not a dead lamb or ox or pigeon, a living sacrifice. Sacrifice, as if dead, but alive, holy. Cleanse yourself. Come to me holy. I demanded a perfect lamb. I sent a perfect lamb. I expect perfect lambs. Holy. and ex- But it's not a demanding expecting. It's I will give grace to you if you just give up your own self-righteousness. The grace will be there to be perfected. Holy. Acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. There's a perfect will of God in this messy, sinful, sick, anarchic, anarchical world. There is a perfect will of God to walk in and it takes total submission to do it. The Muslims have one thing right. The jihad is a struggle for submission. I think Islam, the word means, if I've got the words right, means submission. And jihad is a struggle to be submitted to Allah. Well, they don't know God. So they're trying to submit to a bunch of rules that they've put up as if God sent them. But there is a reality in that that they're searching for. There is a total submission that is required to come into the total peace and blessing and perfection that God has for you and that's what you long for more than anything else. We know people who are famous and have reached goals by perfectionism. We know people who look like they have the perfect marriage, the perfect house, the perfect boat, and everything else, and they feel empty, like there's a piece missing, there's something else. That perfection of character that God has for you, and then the perfection of walking in His will, that every person you meet is part of a grand plan from God, that every, that every flat tire and, and everything is part of a grand design from God, not that you have to examine everything, but that you walk in a trust that this is the will of God. And I have laid my life down, so I'm experiencing the perfect will of God. And you will find more coincidences in your life than you ever thought imaginable, which are God's sovereign fingerprints in your life. Another one talks about the perfection, and I'm going to go to the last part now. The perfection... (coughs) of, um, wow, slips my mind. Oh, the perfection of unity in John 17. Perfect unity. Did you know, now this, this is something I have not, I've only been startled by it. It's one of the most startling statements in the New Testament. <clears throat> that they 
Jesus is praying for us that they might be one as we are one. That I can be as close to Paul as Jesus is to the Father. With no conflicts, no raspy edges, absolutely in union with my wife Stella, with you other believers. That's the prayer of Jesus. A perfect relationship. That's incredible. And he's waiting for the perfect man to grow into, and apostles and prophets are sent, to perfect, to to present to God a perfect man, a perfect bride and a perfect man, a man that looks like Christ Jesus but is a corporate body of Christ. He's, He's working to bring that about. Are we cooperating with it? Are our minds cooperating? Are our goals cooperating with that great perfection that God's bringing us to? Okay, we'll close with this. 1 Corinthians, the core of it all, the core of it all is love. It's so simple, so profound. Let's just look at that chapter. 1 Corinthians 13. <clears throat> I heard, sometimes we really feel like we hear from God. And as I was preparing for this, I thought I heard one thing. And it was, make this about love. Make it a study about love. Because that's the answer. That's the perfection of God. Two great commandments. Love God with, we can summarize everything. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Second one like it. Love your neighbor, your wife, your brother, your father-in-law, your neighbor as yourself. And you will come to the completeness in life. See, if we aim at being right all the time, we are so obnoxious to be around. But if we aim at loving all the time, the world will be clamoring to have tea with you. including your partner. If the aim is love, that's where perfection is. That's how we we aim at that. And we're going to start feeling the perfection coming in us. And that great peace that comes by having the perfection that we are designed to experience be the very core of our being and the root of all our behavior so we don't have to use plastic flowers anymore. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, I'm going to pray here. God, half the people here have this memorized. I'm not one of them. But it's so familiar, God. We read it so quickly. I pray that the profoundness of these scriptures will grasp hold of us in a new way. In Jesus' name. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong, clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers, and I always admire people that can prophesy, but you know what? That's passing away. Something God has given to some people All of us can prophesy, but some of us really have a gift for it. And 
I, oh, it's marvelous. But what is the character like? What are they like when they go home? What are they like when they think? And nobody can see the thoughts. I'm not going to be jealous of that. It's just something on the outside that God gave them. Speaking in tongues. If I understand all mysteries, wow, what a preacher. Wow, what a Bible teacher. Have all knowledge. What wisdom that person has. And all faith. Did you see what they believed God for? He, he just prayed for this and it happened. Well, this is incredible. All this stuff is outside. All of it's gifts from God, grace gifts. And of course, so is love. But some are pursued and some aren't. So as to remove mountains. But have not love. I'm nothing. How much? You know, when some of us meet the Lord and we go through the Bema judgment, which all Christians will be judged by God, and we see all that we did, and we see the flames of God's eyes test everything. I don't want to be left with a pile of ashes and say, Welcome home, Gary. Wish I had more for you. I want to hear. Well done. Good, faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord, which we are going to hear. But there is going to be some disappointment if we don't build with Jesus and his perfection. And if we build the perfections of what other expectations, other people's expectations are and our own. If we build with anything else, it's going to burn. It's such a short, it's a drug. We're drunk with it. And we're, we're satisfied for a moment, but not for eternity. If I give away all I have and deliver my body to be burned, some people think if you're sincere, he's sincere. Look what he did. Look what he did. He sacrificed his whole business to go do that. Oh, good. Why? Well, he thought it was the right thing. If I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And so here, respond to me. We've got five minutes. Love is patient. Somebody tell me what that means. Long. No, that's going to be another thing. So long suffering is another thing. Yeah. You'd think that would be patient. Love, what is, love is patient. You know, I, I one time, you wait. There you go. You wait. <laughs> love is patient. No, go ahead. I got, I've got time. No, no, that's fine. Go ahead. Love is patient. One time in seminary, I was making out a card for one for my family, one for the people I was evangelizing, one for a couple of ministries. Paul and I had one together, Young Life. Uh, one for this, one for that, six days a week. And the seventh day, I rested and I prayed for anything I wanted to. But I felt responsible for six days. And then I was making out a list for me. I thought, oh, well, I should pray for me. I said, God, if you see anything that needs to be changed, patience! Did you have to answer so quickly? I realized it was the first step of love. 
Love is patient. How many struggle with impatience? Half of us are liars. That's all right. But, but, but and it may not be a problem for you. But patience is something that's developed. Let patience, persistence have its final work. You, you wait. There's a waiting to it. Right. The next one. And we could go, you know, it would be well worth studying an hour on every one of these aspects. Well worth, no, studying a lifetime. Because God, God told me patience. And then I bet it was four years later. At least, maybe longer. I was going to buy a trick, like a magic trick I have here. I, with that thing, I like to do magic for kids. So I was going to buy this box that said, caution, rattlesnake eggs. And when you hand it to somebody, it rattles. It goes like that, and women scream. It's just, it is so much fun. And they throw the box like this and go, ah! So I'd lost my box. And I was at a store someplace, and I saw another one. Rattlesnake eggs. And I thought, oh, good deal. I went like this. And the Holy Spirit cleared his throat like, <clears throat> Couldn't buy that sucker. God said, love is kind. There goes half my humor. <laughs> it's not kind to everybody. For me, that wasn't. Some people may be able, and they may use it wisely. I probably wouldn't. But love is kind. That was several years after love is patient. You realize I have to live to be 189 years old at this stage to finish this love thing. So that's okay with me. So far, so far, so slow. <laughs> love is kind. Love does not envy. Whoa. Whoa. The last three, four, five years. No. The last 47, no, 41 years. I can tell the time. I thought the Lord said, prophesy to everybody in your living room. There are two Afro-American women that had left their, wasn't one single, and the other one left her husband that lived across the street from us in a homosexual bar area of East Dallas. This is where my wife and I started our, our uh, marriage together. Really a difficult area. And they came, and they turned out to be Pentecostals, you know, where the hat, hats came over and sat down, and let's have a meeting. And the Lord said, prophesy to everybody. So I went to the first woman. I said, you must return to your hub, husband. She didn't like that. Then I went to the next one said something else. And then to my wife and whatever. And then I found my hand going like this. What am I doing? <laughs> and I said, my son, you have a spirit of jealousy. What am I saying? It was the craziest thing. I'd never thought of myself as jealous. I'd never realized the source of so much inner bickering and comparing with other people. But it was a spirit of jealousy. And God started working on that. And he's been working on it. It didn't just go like this upon recognizing it. I had to address situations. I'm jealous of this person. I'm jealous of, yeah, and I want to tear them down a little bit or find some flaw in them or not to be successful or move them to another town or whatever. But jealousy, this two things that, I, that I've discovered are 
beneath almost all of us. One is the perfectionism I'm talking about. It doesn't get talked about much. The other is jealousy. It doesn't get addressed very much. It's such a quiet... These are inner sins that are absolutely debilitating to the body of Christ. Well, study the rest yourself. It's 1 o'clock. <laughs> I'll finish there. Paul, could you close us in prayer? That sound? Yeah. For all of us, this is both an event and a process. I'm very grateful for what we have heard. That as we embrace a God of love, a God who deeply cares for us. And as we agree with him to love as he loves, that this process will move in our life. I want to pray now that there can be some rooting out that can give you encouragement. Just like Gary, after he confessed faith in Christ, he saw a difference. He saw that he did not need to lust. He did not need to take a second look because God was at work within him. And I want to say to you today that it is God who is at work within you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so we're going to ask him to do something in you today that gives you hope that this process is going to continue. We're going to ask him to, to get at a root. Gary talked about tributaries, things in our life that were uh, were inhibiting us that had uh, structure, tributaries, and rivers that went this way and that. And so uh, we're simply going to ask him to, to work a, a deliverance that by faith we can see something rooted out that can give us hope that this thing is... That this thing is uh, going away. This thing is being dealt with. And so, Father, I pray that you would give hope to people, that hope would rise in hearts as I pray. And I, I can feel hope rising even as I say that. I feel hope rising in your heart, that God is giving you hope, that that's why you are here today, because he is putting hope in your heart and the God of joy is going to fill you with all hope and peace in believing. And he's going to give you hope. And you're going to be able to say, yes, yes, I don't have to struggle in the same depth with this 
that I've struggled with. I don't want to have this anymore. I want to walk in love. I want to experience the joy of the Lord in a new and fresh way. And I don't want these entanglements to swallow me alive. And I believe God's going to do that right now. And he's going to give you cause for hope. So however you want to, if you want to put your hands on your heart or if you want to hold your hands out to receive, I'm believing with you. I'm believing for myself. I'm believing with you today that this was a divinely ordained meeting, an encounter with a living, loving God who reaches into your heart and says, I am at work in you. I am doing this work. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not you doing a little harder. It's Christ in you. That is your hope. A living, loving person in your body. So now God, God within, God around us, God over us, take your hand and go right into our hearts and grab something that has been there that's entangled. And by faith, we believe that you are now taking your hand and grabbing on to one of these things and you are rooting it out. By faith, we believe you. Go ahead, God. Go ahead. Just root it. Just grab it. Root it out. In Jesus' name, we believe for that. And we believe that as we walk through this day and through this weekend, that hope will rise in us because we will see something is different. Something has changed. I've heard the word. I've heard the promises. I've heard the testimonies. Something is different. That fear is subsiding. That anxiety is is being dealt with. That comparison is not the same level as it has been before. And I don't need to do that like I was doing it. That I don't have to look in the mirror the way I have. That I don't have to be critical. I say no to self-criticism. I say no to self-judgment. I say no to analyzing everything in the book. No to analyzing what I'm thinking, saying, doing. I say no to that because it doesn't have to happen. You don't need that. We let it go. It's like little kids. It's playthings. It's something playful. And I'm walking toward maturity where I do not need to do that anymore. And we put the enemy to flight. We take our stand and we say no to the enemy who will come back at us and taunt us, tantalize us, and give us these things and say, no, you need to spend more time. You need to analyze this more. And we can just say, no, I'm not doing that. I'm resisting that. Oh, God, we speak deliverance. The Bible says deliverance belongs to the Lord. It's in your hand, oh, God. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. And we lay claim to that today. Whether you feel it is not an issue. Whether you experience it is. And today and tomorrow you will experience something. I guarantee you, you will experience something that says to you, that God brought you here, he did a work in your heart, and something has changed in Jesus' name. Let's pray together as Jesus taught us to pray, and then I'm going to speak the benediction over you. Then we're going to go and eat. 
and uh, I'm just going to put something on the on the table. If uh, it, everything is free, if you want to pay for the meal, you can do that. If you want to provide something else, whatever is beyond the meal will go to Gary. So uh, we'll just leave it there. Let's pray together as Jesus taught us to pray. And let's pray it uh, slowly and deliberately and confidently. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with peace and joy and confidence and affirmation and give you his peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.